0: Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have a great show planned for you today. Why do you ask? Because our guest, Ramin Setahi, is the Chief Strategy Officer for EMC Leaders, among other things, which we're going to talk about here on the interview today. But Ramin, welcome to the program.
1: Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be
0: here, Rick. So as I've gotten to know you in our conversations and preparing for your interview today, I understand that as an entrepreneur, Ramin, you have a a broad vision for the work that you're doing. So maybe we can start this interview today by you giving us a sense for how you see your potential impact in this space with the work that you're doing.
1: Oh, that's uh, thank you very much for such a fantastic question, because it really uh, goes to the heart of what we're all. I think all entrepreneurs are trying to do. Um, interestingly, the word entrepreneur doesn't even have a definition in many languages. It's a, it's kind of a Western uh, orientation. Uh, probably the closest thing that we find in many cultures is uh, kind of work for yourself. Is probably the closest definition that uh, that people come up with. Uh, but I believe that um, when you dig deeper, you start to see that the entrepreneurs everywhere are really on a journey of self-discovery. What can I do uh, with my abilities, with my purpose and mission uh, or um, passion? And uh, and what do I want to address? Now, some entrepreneurs are addressing market needs, right? And that's, that's obviously the one that we most uh, read about. Some address societal needs, so some are kind of much larger, bigger picture uh, issues, and some address a community need. My community needs a, a watchdog group, so therefore we're going to create an, a, a community that does that. And uh, so for me, really the journey ha- started out with, uh, has always been for whether I was inside institutions or whether I, I, whether I have been now recent, most recently outside, of the kind of the confines of a massive uh institution has been about societal issues it's been about how do we meet the needs of our society especially in terms of the challenges uh, it faces. uh emc leaders interestingly is uh, is one of the avenues that uh, that we're working on um dr gershwell and i literally bumped into each other and we began to talk about what our different passions are, and and where they different, where they uh, where they fit. As a uh, as a uh, professor, teacher of uh, leadership for many years, I've been fascinated by the characters of leaders and what what is it behind the scenes that that illuminates these people, that motivates these people, that allows them to go through the hard times, that uh, allows them to, um, to 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 rise from their mistakes and 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 to have followership, um, many, many leaders had no positions uh, that would create a followership, such as a management. they They were just simply a regular person, Hugo Chavez, you know, a, a, a farm picker, and many, many others that we can we can name. So the point has been, how do I connect those? And Dr. Gershville's work has really been about emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And how emotions form that strongest basis. So we began to work together. We wrote a book that is out, um, that has been out for for about a year and a half now. And uh, interestingly, our work was very um, was done. Most of our work was done before the COVID period, mm-hmm. and and we've been seeing some very interesting connections between our work and what we're seeing in the marketplace of work.
0: I'd like to reemphasize the point you made earlier on, and. Um... I believe Dr. Abraham Maslow, who maybe is known for inventing the hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. But one of the quotes that I have heard attributed to him was something like, and I'm paraphrasing, that if he was asked to help a country out of their systemic problems, he would bring entrepreneurs to the country. Because in his experience, entrepreneurs know how to solve problems. And so it kind of reinforces your point about that they may be faced on facing building a business, but there may be other things, societal, et cetera, that someone with that entrepreneurial mindset can put about to solve the problem, right? Exactly.
1: Uh, I do think, however, that there is a balance because entrepreneurs and institutions are both necessary um, for our society. Institutions form a bedrock that that allows us to to have confidence in 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 a variety of tasks we go out in the street we expect the street department or we the fire department or other (laughs) local institutions and then and then and then you can multiply that out Um, you would not want to have entrepreneurs responsible for a lot of our daily life activity because you know they get tired and they decide to move on to something else Right. And um, and you I don't want to have to pay dirty. every time I want the light to turn green either. Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. So I think it's a combination. But really, the work that uh, we began to do at emotional, um, at EMC leaders and related to emotional connection, all come together with what we're seeing during the COVID and post-COVID period. You know, we we have these things called great resignation or quiet, mm-hmm. uh, quitting, as we now are are kind of starting to see. Um, a, a McKinsey study just recently. Um, uh, showed that outside of compensation, all the other reasons for people leaving their jobs are the so-called intangibles, mm-hmm. things like career advancement. Uninspire- uninspiring leadership is now making it to almost every survey that you see. This is important. People want leaders that they can connect with. They want a mission that they can connect with. They want meaning in their work. They want a healthy workplace and and not healthy in the sense that here we have these programs for you to go join a gym healthy in terms of positive strong relationships and that's really what we that's what we work with uh, with organizations on and we are both an education organization as well as a vendor organization we we sell uh, our team dynamics work and and other uh, aspects
0: so i'm wondering from your perspective because i i agree with you on many of the points that you made about what people are looking for from their employer, and I'm just wondering from your perspective, how do you how do you see it? Because I think it's not only the the impact of COVID and what that um, did to the workplace, but it's also the migration of younger generations, coincident with that coming into the workplace. We now have, you know, the the youngest workers are Gen Z; they're not even millennials anymore. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and it just seems. Do you agree? that it's a confluence of the externalities of, of hybrid work or whatever you want to say was relative to COVID, along with a new generation of cohorts coming into the workforce?
1: I would say that um, certainly COVID, the confluence of different generations, um, expectations from work are accelerants. Of what has already what has always hmm. been the case. Okay. I think it has always been that, that one's toil, one's work um, is more pleasurable if there's meaning to it, if there is a, a satisfaction that one drives from their partnerships and their colleagues, if one drives a, a pleasure in. Uh, achieving unachievable objectives or what seemed to be unachievable. So I think these have always been the case. But perhaps maybe for economic reasons or social mobility reasons, people were putting up with less than that. And times have changed. And people are saying, you know, I really want those things. They matter to me. That's how you get my 110% at work.
0: You referenced this latest movement, which was termed quiet quitting. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious because when I first heard the term, I thought that's an odd, what does that really mean? And then as I understand what I believe I began to understand about the movement, it is not giving discretionary effort beyond a certain period of time or a certain amount of effort to the job. It it, it seems deeper to me than a term like quiet quitting it is really how much engagement can you expect from your employee population and i've always believed that that engagement of your workforce is like the best competitive differentiation any company can possibly have absolutely Which, what's your view absolutely. of that
1: absolutely i think you have you, i think you have uh, um uh, Pointed this out very well. It is really that engagement. And when we look at companies, you know, in in the days when we used to do a lot of research and look at organizations, when we look at companies, um, we see that really the differences are rarely the talent base, the, the kind of the what you call the tangible um, uh, qu- uh, quantitative. It's really about what the innovative capacity is among people, what the engagement level is, and what quiet quitting is really saying is, is, is I'm going to do my job. And no more and no less. Um, You really haven't captured my heart. All you're doing is giving me a paycheck. So I will, um, uh, you know, many years ago, there was a funny joke uh, during the Soviet era, some of us old enough, where, you know, soldiers were standing, um, you know, uh, behind at at some kind of a um, military base, but they were all just smoking. And someone asked them, what are you guys doing? Aren't you supposed to be in your various posts? And they say, we're pretending to work and they're pretending to pay us. So it was, uh, it, was, it was kind of this scenario. And I think what people are basically saying, fine, you pay me. I do what you ask me, but no more, no less. And you're not getting me. And I think that's a big loss um, for, for everyone. So I hope that we can do better. And that's really what
0: our, our goal is. And that's part of the uh, accelerant to use your word of social media. I think that ideas like this can really catch hold much more quickly because they can be disseminated to millions with a click of a button and then it gets reshared and, and, and it can, it can get ahead of how people respond to it because it's so easy to find and can become so pervasive as far as the topic before the other side even has a chance to catch up to what is the real underlying conversation that needs to be had with your employees. Exactly. exactly. Because the media gets a hold of it, and they have whatever, and before you know it, you're dealing with something that's But there's real truth behind
1: all of it. Okay. I mean, I I don't want to take that away. Yes, people can uh, do all kinds of um, various um, uh, actions that that change the message, uh, perhaps, but there's truth behind it in the sense that... um, there is a um, a, def- a deficit of leadership in many many organizations and whether that is because we are shy of market results you know we got to keep that share price exactly as it was supposed to be or we got to keep those profit levels or we got to keep this person happy or keep that customer happy or what have you whether there is that whether there is the fact that um, leadership is changing quite rapidly in organizations turnovers are very very short ten years um, whether is the quality of of people who are rising to these positions, I'm not sure everywhere is probably different. It is that, you know, the things that people talked about thousands of years ago are still true. You need to have courage. You need to have commitment. You have to have a belief in people. Um, and those kind of have stood the test of time. And whether social media puts it up there or, or regular media or people see it, um, it's still true. So mm-hmm. without courage and conviction, not much happens.
0: Right. And leaders, uh, you're right. You don't have to have the title to be a leader. Uh, people gravitate to people who have a message. That's what I find, regardless exactly. of their station exactly. in the company. You know, I know that you're also, in addition to all the other things you're doing as an entrepreneur, you're the founder of an organization by the name of Impact Human Learning. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can tell me a bit about the firm and the, the mission that it is on and your behalf.
1: Well, I wish I knew what I knew. I wish I knew what Impact Human Learning was about. I could tell you more, but but uh, to to be serious, Impact Human Learning is less of a company and more of a conversation place. It's a place where we really are trying to have some of the more difficult conversations that um, we need to have as a society. It's as only one, you know, it's only a few of us. It's not, a, it, it's not thousands of people. Um, but uh, it, it's really a place where we want to connect this extremely unusual time we're in um, there is a exponential growth in technology that is taking yeah. place right now. We ex- Ray Kurzweil, one of the futurists um, that um, that I have a great deal of respect for, he's talked about the fact that we're going to experience a thousand years of change in our from a historical perspective in about in half of this century. So this. This change in technology changes everything that we do, all of the challenges that we face. And that's really the idea behind Impact Human Learning is to begin to put these pieces together. We have worked on such varied topics as physician burnout. Uh, you may or may not know that it's, it's, a, it's an international problem. And, and nationally in the United States, a physician takes his or her life, every single one physician takes their life. Per day, so that is a massive challenge. Uh, suicide uh, that is occurring, and many more are leaving the profession. And we have worked on trying to figure out a a much more thoughtful, much more holistic approach to dealing with this issue. As part of the conversations, we're talking about conversations that change, that talk about the changing our the dynamics of our health. Um, health of our communities. In the United States, we spend the most on health care. And and as you very well know from many other aspects, we're not seeing great results when it comes to our communities. And so those are tough conversations. Um, If you're inside an institution, they're called career limiting conversations. So it's kind of, I can have them now, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. Conversations about higher education and its enormously growing costs, something I guess I have a tremendous amount of experience in and, and, and trying to tackle those. And then most exciting, I, I have to kind of do a little advertisement, is we are putting together one of the world's largest scientific conferences to occur this September in conjunction with the United Nations General Assembly in, in New York um, about the connection between science and society and, and decision makers, policy makers. It's it's as you very well know we're in the middle of a war on science war on education war on 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 uh, intellectual thought and um, and I'm not saying that that's all unwarranted uh, some of it is because of the distances the the gaps that have grown mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what we're trying to address we're expecting thirty to forty thousand attendees from around the world it's a one hundred percent free conference. It's got 350 sessions by some of the world's scientific decision makers, policy makers. Um, and, um, and that's one of the conversations that we're we're excited to be a part of at, at Impact Human Learning.
0: That's exciting because um, I don't disagree with anything you said. And to put a finer point from my perspective on it, I'm not sure man, really mankind, appreciates what artificial intelligence and machine learning may be creating opportunities for business, but also for society, and how carefully we have to be in shepherding that evolution of that technology. Mm-hmm. How do Absolutely. you feel about that?
1: I, I, I think it's a, it's a critical issue for our time. One of the, one of the sessions that, um, that I've been working very closely on is, is really looking at the, at the ethics of AI. Right. And, and, and kind of a societal agreement around how we frame AI and machine learning. Um, it's, it, to give you an example, uh, recently one of the most advanced machine learning languages, uh, something called GPT-3, um, was able to study a living philosopher at length and respond to questions that we're, fa- were were asked of this philosopher that GP3's answers to these deep questions were almost identical, oh. or said in another way, 50% of the respondents who are philosophers were unable to tell GPT 3's wow. answers apart from the philosopher. Right. So we are we are in an era where we're not going to know who we're talking to. We're, because it might very well be my face, but it might be, you know, hopefully it'll be much more articulate than I am, but it will be a machine um, learning. And, and of course, every day we, we are facing this. We have, you know, self-driving cars or semi-self-driving cars, or we have other forms of learning that are taking place every day, um, but sort of machine learning that's taking place. But it is an important topic. It is one that I, I am very passionate about wanting to, to figure out how do we put some guidelines into place, yes. both its development and its use. And of course, it's, it's well beyond me, I'm just a small player, but we just get the conversation going. We just get the right people to have those conversations. Um, I think you know our, our congressional or, or political um, frameworks are not conducive to these levels of conversation no. for a variety of reasons. But, so that the conversation has to take place elsewhere. Yes. And um, um, in Ireland, there is a uh, people's Assembly that is um, that is truly people's assembly that tackles some of the toughest challenges. And so one of the things that I've been recently studying is 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 the formation of what these assemblies, um, how they have formed, how they function, and how we can, Perhaps make these more of a regular thing in our society. We have them in the U.S. here and there, but they're not—they're um, not a regular part. And um, to maybe break down some of these divis- divisive lines that get created, and just have people just talk to each other and 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 understand better what's going on, and
0: and share their thoughts. You know, a point you—a lot of Ella points you made. One in particular, I, I'm not sure people who aren't aware of the evolution of artificial intelligence and machine learning can fully appreciate one, the capacity for knowledge and learning that is inherent in Mm -hmm. systems such as this and Mm -hmm. the rate at which they can consume information and then use it in a way to help formulate their responses, which is really decision-making at Mm -hmm. at some level. A conversation is a series of decisions that you're making. the rate at which they're going to evolve is what I'm glad you're talking about, the ethics of those people, whether mm-hmm. it's profit motive or foreign actors or domestic actors who use this technology to advance a, an agenda that maybe isn't in the greater good of humanity as well.
1: The rate, I think, is, is a really important concept. And I think this, when I talk to people, uh, it's probably the single most important concept to, to get across is that the rate is beyond anything you have imagined (laughs) if you just simply look at your iphone it is iphone 14 now i think so it's literally 14 years 14 years in 14 years imagine how much has changed Mm
0: -hmm.
1: how much has changed in in every way now take that and create an exponential out of that where in another 14 years you will have probably 30 to 40 years worth of change so it's uh it, it's one that uh i can do we can do a better job of 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 sharing and and uh connecting with our with our fellow um humans yes um whether locally or around the world
0: i agree i so agree and boy i wish we had more time remain to pick at your knowledge and sh- have you share your insights but i'm wondering if if people were interested in learning more about you, or one of the many ventures and activities that you you kind of dedicated yourself for in this phase of your career, how do you suggest they find you online, Ramin? Um,
1: you can find me on LinkedIn. It's I think I'm the only one holder of this name. So you can uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with you. Uh, I need lots and lots and lots of help from all kinds of people and all kinds of walks of life. Um, and, uh, and I grow with every connection that I make. Uh, and look forward to um, finding ways that we can um, we can uh, tackle some of these problems.
0: Well, thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Rick.
0: I'd like to thank the audience. You're a part of Orange County's longest-running business talk show. Ramin's episode was episode number 1,382 in our catalog. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you would like to tell your story, then connect with me on LinkedIn or my website. Same thing, Rick Franzi, R-I-C-F-R-A-N-Z-I. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction.